the triumphal entry. I can't help but think we've had a triumphal entry, entry right here. You folks that marched up, that was a triumphant march. You marched right into the arms of Jesus, so this is your triumphant, uh, your very triumphant and special uh, Sunday, and we thank God for that. Lou had read, Pastor Lou, had read from the version uh, of Luke. Let me tell you the peculiarities and the differences in the different versions of the Bible and how each author saw the triumphal entry. What was tremendously important to them? What was tremendously important to them? Okay? Uh, in Matthew, it's quite interesting. In Matthew, you have the religious leaders rebuking the children. Now, that's interesting. The children got palms, and you know how kids can get very excited. We had children Sunday last week, and we had a good, a good hundred excited children here, and they do get excited. And when the marching started, it was absolutely a thrill to them. Yet God used the children. And the cry of the children was uh, simply, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Yes, somebody told them to say it and they said it. But isn't it marvelous to think it was prophetic? They were told to say, say Hosanna. Say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And these kids were all excited. And they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And the religious leaders come upon the children and they say, Master, shut them up. Hey, folks, one of these days, we're going to take time to study how many times in the scripture people wanted to shut up the children and Jesus wouldn't let them. Remember the time that they came and they were playing around the master and, the, and the, the disciples scooted them away? Get out of here. The master is speaking important things. And Jesus says, don't you dare. Don't you dare. What did he say? Let the little children come unto me. Oh, folks, there's a lesson in children, isn't it? And I'm so glad they were part of the triumphal entry. Children. Children, and God's given us a vision for children. I really mean that. God's given us a beautiful vision for children. In these days of anguish and in these days of pain and in these days of a great deal of confusion, because it's very confusing to think you did something good and somebody analyzes it bad. It's very confusing when... when uh, when everything is turned upside down, I can't even start to explain it and I don't want to. But it is very confusing. But in midst of the confusion, it's so marvelous to know that God has promised to be with us. And it's interesting, the master was having a tremendous time with grown-ups. And the people said, shut the children up, they're bothering us. And Jesus says, no. Leave the children alone. Leave the children alone. And then he went on and said two things which were absolutely outstanding. He said, first of all, 
if you were not like a little child, you'd never see the kingdom of heaven. And always remember in that teaching, it's not being childish, it's being childlike. And there's a big difference. And you say, well, what, what, is, what does he mean? Do we, uh, like, we almost have to say like Nicodemus, do I have to go back and be born again and become a child? No. Oh, no. What is the spirit of a child? I'm going to tell you the spirit of a child. Number one, they hold no grudges. Aren't kids marvelous? They don't hold any grudges. I'll always remember. And this uh, makes Stella laugh this morning. My mother always fought for Ralph and for Bobby. Always. If they beat up my brothers, my mother was right on the stairs. And my mother had, didn't have much English, but she had all the right words translated into her Spanglish. And she knew them. And if anybody hit my brother there, she went. And I remember one day there was quite a ruckus in the street. Somebody had hit my brother, Bob. Mama went out and took the kid and shook him. His mother came out and was ready to shake my mother. Can you see it? 136th Street in Brook Avenue. Mothers and all the kids around. My mother's in the middle. It's about quarter to five or maybe a little after. And my father is walking down from the subway from 138th Street, sees the circle of people. I'm in the circle watching my mama. And my mother's there defending her little boy. And the other mother's shouting at my mother. And I'm saying to myself, whoo. But my father's coming down the block and I know my father's going to fix up everything. So my father walks down, looks in the circle, walks by and goes home. By that time, my mother just took a deep breath and went in the house. And you can hear her, right? Like a stormtrooper. Boom, 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 boom. She looks at my father and she says to my father, You left me out there like a fool. My father says, Mama, you was a fool. <laughs> and my mother says, No, tú quieres cobarde. I say that in Spanish because you'll understand. My, father, my mother says, no, you're a coward. I go out and fight for the kids. My father says, you don't have to fight for kids. My mother says, but they hit him. It won't be the last time. But don't you? Rosa, quietate. Take it easy. Listen, listen, mama. And I always remember this. He says, tomorrow... Those two kids are going to be licking the same ice cream cone. And you and that lady won't be able to look at each other for the next 10 years. And he looked at my mother and he says, don't fight for the kids. They'll defend themselves. My mother looked at my father. And it was interesting. She didn't go out to fight anymore. She learned the lesson. But I think dad knew the lesson. Kids are beautiful. Kids are marvelous. Mama, mama, mama. Jamie, hit me. Well, who's at the door? Jamie. 
Oh, okay, Ma, I'll go out and play with him. That's the way it is. No grudges. In Jesus' ministry, he said to us, if we were not like children, we would not make the kingdom of heaven. You say, but we have so much cynicism. We have so much trained anger. We have so much inner violence. How can we become like a child? Well, you become like a child when you give your heart to Jesus. And he takes the heart of stone and makes it a heart of flesh. And starts teaching us the lessons of life all over again. Or better said, in his analysis and in the great truth of his word. That's why I believe in the new creation. That's why I believe in being born again. Because of our first nature, there's very little there that can save us. But when he comes in and makes us anew, we've got a whole new start where we get, we get rid of hates, where we get rid of anger and guilt, where we can deal with life on a very open and beautiful basis. Say amen. amen. I need an echo every now and then. Hallelujah. And Jesus had children. And when they said, shut the children up, he says, didn't you hear what the psalmist said? From the mouth of babes will come God's praises. That's what Jesus said. So I'm asking God to give us children, give us many children, children that we can teach the truth of his word, children that can know. And in this triumphal entry, children had a great part. And we're going to work with them. I think one of the things that God's made so real to me in this time of trouble and trial, he's made the the call that God gave me to the Bronx and the call that God gave me uh, to Crossroads, he's made it so real. And I'm going to tell you one thing. I am going to dedicate all my energies and whatever I have left of my energies to Crossroads and to the cause of Christ within the confines of this, my calling. And I mean this. We are going out, folks, and we are going to find ourselves a piece of land and we are going to build a monster that might look like something like this at the beginning. And we are going to go in. And we are going to have room for our children. We're going to have room for them to play basketball. And we're going to have room for volleyball. And we're going to have room for swimming. And we're going to have room for physical fitness. And we're going to bring the kids in from all the neighborhoods. And we're going to tell them about Jesus. And guess what? It's going to work. Because I know it's going to work. So if this comes to just give my strength the singularity of this place, I thank God for that. Everybody, it's so sweet. I've got about seven prophets in the church, but they're just my prophets, so don't worry about them. And they come up and they tell me exactly what I have to do. And for the first time in history, they've all said the same thing. So I thank the Lord for that. Now, something beautiful about this triumphal entry, not only children. Matthew looks at the children aspect. He says, from the mouth of babes and children, I thank God, because children are in God's program, and we're going to be busy about children. In the book of Mark, there's another aspect to the triumphal entry, a very strange aspect, and yet it's a very beautiful one. And the strange aspect is the presence of a fig tree in the coming and the going of the triumphal entry. Jesus gets up bright and early in the morning and he's coming into Jerusalem and there's a fig tree with a lot of leaves, a lot of leaves, which means 
it should have figs. Because that's the order of nature in terms of the fig tree. But when he looks for figs, there are no figs. And the scripture says something very strange. He cursed the tree. I say it's strange because it just doesn't seem right to curse the tree. And you know me, when I look at the Bible, I have all my question marks and I've got all my handles on it in terms of uh, if I have an inquiry, it's very open. There are things about the Bible I don't like, but it has to do with my nature. I can't take it. God tells me to be a servant and I'd rather be a lady, a fair lady being waited on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, the Bible tells me certain things uh, and explains certain things that I haven't fit into the mold yet. I'm working on it, so don't, don't, don't leave me. I'm working on it. Uh, but there are things that just, uh, woo, I say to myself, what's happening? Now Jesus comes and he says to the fig tree, he looks for figs, there are no figs. And he curses the fig tree. I can imagine the disciples saying, what did he get so angry about? So there are no figs, who cares? Maybe in the summer there'll be figs. And they go away, they, they don't think about it. Except that night they came back to rest in Bethany. And when they came back, the next morning as they're leaving, the tree had withered. Withered. And the disciples look and Peter says, the tree, it withered. Just what you said happened. And he says, yeah, <laughs> it withered. <laughs> and can you see Peter? I love Peter because Peter's like us. He's a fisherman. Do you understand? He's a fisherman. He's, 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 he's brawny. He has that brute human force. And he's very, you know, wants to know it all. And he says, Jesus, how'd you do it? Oh, I love that. <laughs> how'd you do it? We always want to know how to do it right? How would you do it? And then Jesus gives the very same lesson of faith that he's taught in the 17th chapter of the book of Luke. He said, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, just that small, you would tell this mountain to go away and that's what would happen. It's faith that makes a fig tree wither. And then you go into the lesson and you say, but why did it have to wither at all? Didn't it have a beauty in just having leaves? Didn't it have a purpose maybe for shade? No, it was a fig tree. And a fig tree has got to give figs. There's no other purpose for a fig tree but to give figs. And you say, well, isn't that, isn't, isn't that, it seems a little harsh. It does seem a little harsh, but it's one of the greatest truths in the world. God wants you to be what he's called you to be. God wants you to be who you are, okay? And when God goes to your life and when God moves on your life, you know what he wants to find? Is your name John? He wants to find John. Is your name Peter? He wants to find Peter. Is, is, is your name Teddy? He wants to find Teddy. He wants to find Mark. He wa that's who he wants to find. He doesn't want to find anything else. And somehow or other, the lesson is beyond Maybe our understanding, a fig tree with leaves should have figs. We should be who God wants us to be. Hey folks, don't be anything else. Don't go sprouting a lot of leaves and not have the fruit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, don't, don't try to be 
what you're not. Just be what you are. You know what's good about being yourself? It's very comfortable. You don't have to worry about who you were the last time you met so-and-so. Okay? You don't, you don't have to worry about the, the, the act you put on when you were in certain circles. Oh, no, I was very dubonier. I was very dapper. I was very cool. I was very slick. I just moved about, and they knew. Oh, they knew I was class. <clears throat> Not to say anything else. And then you walk in this time, and you're all shot up, and you, you know, you're half dead, and you mm-hmm. And you can't, we can't go on like that. We've got to be who God wants us to be. The triumphal entry of our own personality. The triumphal entry of just us. The triumphal entry of who we are. The triumphal entry of your smile. And being able to laugh when you want to laugh and let it out. I like that word in Spanish. It means so much. Carcajadas. Isn't that great? How do you say it in English? Oh, oh, carcajadas. Damaris. My Spanish interpreter. <laughs> Jovial, whatever it is. Be who you are. In my daddy's church, there was a man called Amilka. That's, a, that's some sad name, but that was his name. And Amilka was a born comedian. Listen, you just looked at Amilka and you laughed. I mean, he, he was... You put three or four different types of comedy personalities into one bag and you would find Amilka. And everybody in church pounced on him. And they would always say, if you don't get serious, you're not even going to make the kingdom of God. And then poor, poor Amilka, he would have a week of trying to look serious. And finally, it never worked. It never worked until one day he said to me, I'm tired. I said, what are you tired of, Amilka? He says, I'm tired. I'm just me. I'm tired of not being me. And I says, well, be you. I says, the only thing I want from you, Amilka, is just ask the Lord to kind of change the color of your humor. You know, from red to pink, from pink to yellow. And let's have a little bit of, you know, you know what I'm saying. And he looked at me and he said, amen. And you know what? Amilka died a comedian and went on to be in God's heaven. And I don't know why, but I think he's making the angels laugh. I really do, because he was a born comedian. The triumphal entry in the book of Mark is seen through the cursed fig tree. And once again, God curses that which is in us. God curses that which will never let us grow, that which will never let us be happy. We've got to. We've got to get away from being what we're not and start being what we are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, I can go. I, I can stay there forever. I really mean that. You know how that starts, folks, in knowing Jesus. And then when you know Jesus, he lets you every now and then see yourself as he sees you. And it's a good feeling. He sees me like a treasure. He sees me like a lost sheep that he took into his arms. He sees me like the lost coin. He sees me like the prodigal son who he brought home. He sees me like his, his what is it? 
the apple of his eye, la niña de su ojo. That's the way he sees me. Do you know that when God sees me, he goes crazy? He's so happy. He feels the same way about you. Okay? I really mean that. You see, we see ourselves, and sometimes we're so guilt-prone. Sometimes we are so heavy on ourselves. Sometimes we are so unfair to ourselves. Sometimes we take all the calamities and we blame it that somewhere along the line, our stupidities uh, uh, blew life away from us. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Jesus says, take, take, what? My yoke is easy and my burden light. Oh, folks, in the book of Luke, we see Jesus coming in the triumphal entry. And this is, this is what happens. Here, once again, the people are crying out because, you see, the triumphal entry was a prophetic triumph, a prophetic triumph and sense of daughter of Zion. Your king on a donkey comes to you. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And it goes on and on, the prophetic utterances that are fulfilled in this great day. In the book of Luke, they rebuke the disciples and they tell the disciples, shut up. In the book of Matthew, they rebuke the children. In the book of Mark, they, Jesus cursed the fig tree. In the book of Luke, they rebuke the disciples and that's where Jesus says, if they don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. Why? Because it was his prophetic day. You know what I think of the triumphal entry as the only, the only legitimate parade in the New Testament? A parade orchestrated in heaven. A parade with, with listen to this, the humblest of all animals, a donkey. Not me. I want a white Arabian horse. Are you hearing me? Probably kill the poor horse, but who cares? A white Arabian horse with a tremendous mane. You know what I mean? I want that when I march, his mane in the breeze, in the wind. That, that's the way I think of a triumphal entry. No, he came in on a donkey. But don't worry about that. He was born in a manger. He was reared in a carpenter shop. He rides a donkey into Jerusalem, and he dies between thieves. That's the way it was. That's the way it was. Now let me share this with you, and I think it's important. When you look at the book of Luke, that's the 19th chapter, Jesus comes over, and there's something that Luke says that none of the other gospels say. And it's this. He cries over Jerusalem. This day of triumph has a day of tremendous pain. He's riding in on a donkey, coming down the hill, and he sees Jerusalem. And his cry is this, if only you had known what would bring you peace, if only you knew the visitation of this day. Oh, folks, I am so glad of those that came forward. You knew the moment of your visitation. It was today. It was today. 
Jesus cried over Jerusalem in a tremendous way. And he says, because you did not know the day of your visitation, because you rejected your day of visitation, you're left open to disaster. Folks, we are left open to disaster when we don't have God. We really are. It's there in the 19th chapter of the book of Luke that Jesus tells them the desolation that will come upon Jerusalem because they did not recognize their day of visitation. Their Messiah came and went and they never knew it. Their Savior came and went and they never knew it. The answer to their prayers came and went and they never knew it. And you say, Sister Amy, is it possible? Is it possible to wait 4,000 years? And when it's before you, yes, it is possible. And you know how that becomes possible? When you take God's word and you mold it into your own precepts and your own concepts and you make your, or build your own bridges and you lift up your own monuments and all of a sudden you have a city of steel around you and you interpret that that city of steel is what God wants. It's not. They wanted a Messiah who would be powerful enough to swallow up Rome. But you see, he didn't come to swallow up Rome. He came to swallow up our sins, which was much more necessary. They wanted a Messiah that would obey their customs, laws, and traditions. He came to fulfill the law. He came to establish his day and his kingdom, not anybody else's. So they missed it. Hey, folks out there, don't miss it. My friends, you that haven't made a decision for Christ, don't miss it. Don't miss it. There isn't anything like following Jesus. There isn't anything like walking with God. There isn't anything like deciding for the master. There isn't anything that could compare to your decision for Jesus Christ. Nothing. In Luke, Jesus cries over Jerusalem. And in John, in John, let me tell you, the attraction, not only was Jesus in the book of John, but Lazarus was an attraction. Lazarus had been dead for four days. Jesus rose him from the dead and he came in and he was walking with them. Isn't that interesting? And the people said, and they said it loud and clear, this is Lazarus who was dead and many people knew him. And it's so sad. Because the Pharisees decided then, and they said it, we've got to kill him too. He is as big a testimony as Jesus is. And the scripture said that from that day on, Lazarus' very own life was in danger because he was such a witness. But what a triumphal entry. Jesus is coming down to Jerusalem, and by his side, there's a man waving palms. And the man's name is Lazarus. And they say, Lazarus, they say you were dead. And he says, yes, I was. And he called me from death. And here I am. What a triumph. Triumph over death. Yet, walking to his death. You see, this is where we would like to rearrange 
the, 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 the sacrifice. This is where we would like to rearrange the redemption plan. We, we, we would like to make it in such a way that it doesn't look so gruesome, that it doesn't look so horrible. Uh, Lazarus rose again. Uh, the widow's son uh, of name, he rose again. Jairus' daughter, she rose again. And now he comes walking down with the tremendous testimonies of everything he's ever done. Yet he's walking to his death. You see, these are the things about the gospel that sometimes we don't understand. And you know what I'm glad? I'm glad that we don't have to understand them. You say, what do you mean you're glad we don't have to understand them? No. They will be revealed to you by the Spirit of God. I, I will teach them. I will tell you. You will go to your Bible and the Holy Spirit will bring it all to life. And then you will realize that he that gave life and he that resurrected the dead in his ministry was then marching on to death. But only to return to us with a greater life than ever before. Hallelujah. This is a triumphal day. And we thank you. Listen, folks. We're going to have a great week in our church this week. I realize the chapel doesn't hold 500 people. But you do take turns, and I want to tell you this. In our chapel, all week long, will be the Easter week of prayer. We have it every year, and we love it. Every service at night is turned into a prayer service. Uh, our new beginnings... We will be sharing with the folks at New Beginnings the power of prayer. Tuesday, our Pastor Louis will be sharing the Holy Supper and the communion that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. On Wednesday, we are going to be understanding his fellowship in Bethany and the people he loved and our very own educational director, Naomi. And these are just 15-minute talks, that's all. Just, just the gist of how the week went. And that was the progress of the week. And then on Thursday, our Bible teacher, Norma Krakow, will take us for 15 minutes into Gethsemane. And then on Friday, we will be gathering right here, Friday night at 7.30, come to Protocom. We are going to have a Good Friday service. And I will share with you the last sayings of Jesus from the cross. And that will be a grandioso service right here on Friday. And then we'll return again on Sunday morning. My precious people, it's a day of triumph. It's a day of marching. It's a day when we put our heads in the air and we say, we're going on with Jesus. Let Jesus be triumphant in your life. Let Jesus be triumphant in your existence. Let Jesus be your everything. Say amen. Amen. amen.